Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Chillinois Podcast. Today's episode features Mike Fouché from GrownIn.com. Enjoy the episode. All right. Mike, thanks for sitting down with me today. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm always excited to talk to you. One of the OGs. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're one of the OGs on The Chillinois Podcast, one of the original guests. Um, oh, cool. I didn't even so yeah, thank you for always, uh, you know, making time to talk to me. I know you're a busy person. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, <laughs> wearing the t-shirt. Nice. So yeah. Nice. So, uh, folks, if you want to see the the video version of the podcast, which is a new thing we're doing, just go to chillinois.net slash YouTube, and you can watch it on your preferred streaming platform. Not even wearing um, my makeup. <laughs> so, um, Mike you know, longtime listeners know you and probably love your work just like myself. Um, but for folks that may not know you, can you, uh, take a moment to introduce yourself and, uh, what you do? Sure. Uh, my name's Mike Fouché. I'm the editor of uh, grown in and, uh, have been, um, a reporter now, I guess about 12, 13 years, uh, before then I worked in politics for a long time. And uh, I have been um, covering the cannabis industry now through Grown In for about two years. Um, hard to believe it's been that long. Um, when we started, um, it was just, it was in the last bit of the before times, what I like to say, before the pandemic started. And, um, and we were, it, it seemed like we were the last people in the in the world that we're getting into cannabis at the time. It seems so strange. Um, and now so much has evolved. Uh, this is a, it's, it's not a joke to call it an industry anymore. It seems like it is an industry with a capital I for its positives and negatives of that. Um, and uh, so grown in news, uh, we cover, uh, we have uh, reporters are regional reporters in the Midwest, New England, and the Mid-Atlantic. And then also uh, we have a, a data reporter uh, and uh, we're spitting out original reported news um, from all these different states, uh, 15 different states right now, uh, every day during the week. Uh, it's pretty exciting. And we just launched our uh, subscription service. Um, we're going to start having a paywall on April 11th. So if you want to be able to get access to everything uh, on Grown In, um, get a subscription. It's uh, $14.99 a month, which we think is a pretty good deal. Um, if you want to know what's going on with cannabis, <clears throat> we're oftentimes, you know, you might see articles about things in other places. And the truth is, is that we're usually the ones to write about it first in more detail and then somebody else's taking more detail from our reporters who are doing the earnest hard work of of uh, writing and covering and interviewing and you know we do everything from talking to people that are um, owners of cannabis companies and people that are caregivers and people that are applicant hopefuls and regulators and large corporate ceos we try and talk to everybody in the business yeah, folks. So as we always say, support your creators, but support your uh, local journalists. Uh, these people put in a lot of work. And as you know, we cite uh, grown in all the time on things we talk about. Like if I'm ever talking about anything, 
Um, I try to do it. I try to do it from an informed perspective. And as you know, usually I'm citing grown in when I'm talking about things. So folks, it's important to, uh, to support your local uh, people. And you can do that by going to grownin.com slash subscribe. I know I'm going to be one of the first subscribers and I hope that you all will too. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. Um, I, you know, as far as, as far as reporting goes, you guys have uh, the best and not only as far as the substance of the reporting, but the, the graphics and the work that goes into displaying all of the the relevant information. So um, it's helpful, you know, for folks that are trying to keep up uh, with all of this stuff. Thank so, you. Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, one one thing I wanted to, to talk about before you moved on is the fact that you guys recently added uh, areas of coverage. You, you mentioned it. Um, but so you start just really quickly a highlight reel of grown in. You started with Illinois, started like, with Illinois. Then we added on some other states. We added on Missouri, Ohio, and Michigan. Uh, and um, we're covering that. And then we added on a New England reporter. Uh, then we added a uh, Mid Atlantic reporter. And now I don't really, I still do some writing and reporting, but we have a Midwest reporter as well. Um, and, uh, the, the whole goal of each of these folks is to write about the details that are happening in individual states. They've built up sources and relationships with operators in all these different states, all these regulators. So, you know, if you talk to Zach in uh, New England, he can tell you, well, you know, I had such and such conversation with an operator in Connecticut and another group of people that just started a, a trade association in Maine. Um, we actually have a story about that in, in Maine today. Um, and, uh, you know, Zach has been, he lives outside of Boston. He's been writing about all different kinds of things. He was a court reporter for, not a, he reported on courts for a long time. He wrote for, uh, the weekly dig. He, he knows New England very, very well. I joke with him about his New Englandness, even though he's actually originally from Georgia and, uh, then we have uh, um, Rob Edwards, who lives in South Jersey. Rob was a long, long time. Uh, yeah, there's Zach's and uh, his story today. Yeah, you see the guy in front of the Lobster Boats, uh, new main organization. Um, and then uh, Rob Edwards in South Jersey, he has been writing about Jersey for decades now. Uh, he knows his way in and out. Um, and uh, so we bring a lot of local experience. It's really terrific uh, that are able to write about these individual areas. Um, and then Cynthia is, she is a, a, our data reporter. She is diving in deeper and deeper, trying to gather information from places that you wouldn't normally find it, doing analysis and writing about these things that you just can't find anywhere else. Um, you know, great story about uh, hemp growers, uh, and where they're actually located in New York that she had last week. I'm excited about the story she's going to have for tomorrow. Um, I can't tell you what it is because that's how it works, folks. You got to wait. Uh, and Trey Arling uh, just started uh, with us as our Midwest reporter uh, last week, and uh, he's just getting started, but I know he's already, he's pretty ambitious and dove into some really cool stuff that we should see in the next 
few days. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of really terrific talent uh, with people that are experienced, strong reporters from a lot of different places. Uh, I'm pretty excited about all the different things that we're able to bring to people uh, about what's happening across the country with cannabis. And, and it's not just a business thing. It's socioeconomic. You know, I think cannabis in a lot of ways is turning out to be reflective of all the problems and good things that we have in the United States. Um, it's an interesting bellwether for a lot of stuff. Absolutely. And I don't know, like I've always struggled with how to ask you this type of question, but I really feel like what you just said leads into a interesting topic. I try to, I try to stray away from, you know, asking you opinion questions, of course, because you're a reporter, um, oh, but I have opinions. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, so there's an interesting like intersection of what's happening with cannabis right now with people are like, there's this, this conversation that's getting louder and louder about open market versus like a limited license market. And one of the things that Tom Shuba said one time that has stuck with me for months now, I think he said it on uh, CityCast Chicago, which is a really great podcast out of Chicago. I don't know if you listen, but it's great. Check it out. Got to give a shout out for local supporters. He said, you go into a gas station and you go to the soda section and what do you see? I mean, you can, we'll probably, if we both listed something, we would have, there'd be a Venn diagram of the products we both know. And mm -hmm. Mike, we live pretty far away from each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The point I'm trying to make is that the food supply is, you know, owned by, I think 11 companies, totally off the top of my head. The media is like five companies grown in, not included, because yeah. um, you guys are, you know, yeah. self-owned or whatever. Um, what do you... What do you think about like that idea I just painted, I guess? Like, so you're do you have talking any thoughts about on consolidation of the industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people seem to like, sorry, I just one last thought. People seem to think that like it may not go that way. And I just look at the rest of America and it's, it feels inevitable. So, um, you know. You know, that that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know. Um, I think that there's a number of important barriers to consolidation in the cannabis industry. Um, the most significant ones being a that there are limited there are limited number of licenses in a lot of states. So, for instance, this Cresco Labs and Columbia merger is going to re result in they're going to have to unload some licenses in Illinois and in Ohio. In Massachusetts, New York, and actually somebody pointed out to me probably in Florida as well. Um, so I think that, you know, you, if, if it didn't have those limitations, they just get bigger, but now they can get bigger, but then they have to shed some other weight and somebody else can pick that up and become a sizable player on their own. So there are a lot of those chances and opportunities. The other I think it's something really important that isn't talked about enough. Uh, although people at the strategic level of these large cannabis companies talk about it a lot and they think about it a lot, which is that it's very, very hard to have a consistent product across state lines. Um, you can do it with gummies because, you know, the THC oil is just another ingredient, but having consistent flour is very, very hard. 
And um, that's, you know, 60% of what people are buying. And so, you know, what you get from Cresco in Illinois is very different. I don't know if it's very different. I don't smoke enough, but it's somewhat different from what you're going to get in Massachusetts. And so, you know, when you go buy a, a Cresco jar of, I don't know, I can't think of a strain from Cresco right now, but you go buy, you know, a jar of that. Is it the same? I don't know. I, I don't have that answer. And, uh, but, and the fact that I don't know is important because when people are thinking about their brand loyalty and what it is that they really enjoy, you know, I always know that if I get a Heineken, it's going to taste the same no matter where I go. But I don't think that you can count on that for strains with Cresco. And it's going to feel the same. There's consistency. Yeah. You know, right. like standard, you know, maybe a Heineken is good for you. And maybe sometimes if you have an empty stomach, there might be different attributing factors that, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You're going to get the same high, you're going to get the same terpenes, you know, same taste. No. Yeah. And, and so the result is that in the cannabis business for consumers, you know, switching cost is what people worry about. You know, what does it cost in, in a consumer's mind to switch from one brand to another? Well, if I don't know that I'm going to get the same thing every time I go to a dispensary, there's no switching cost. I'll do whatever I want. And so for these big brands like Cresco, you know, I, it's very interesting. I, I think that until there is consistency across state lines, uh, the idea that there's going to be big conglomerates, I think doesn't really matter. Yeah. So the industry might have some like built-in uh, thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a plant. So I think it's hard, like you say, it may be hard to achieve that consistency. So um, it, not only is it a plant, but it's a really, really complicated plant. You know, I mean, there, there's consistency in corn, right. You know, um, there's consistency in wheat, but I think that, Cannabis sativa, cannabis indica is really, really, really complicated. I mean, to, to your point, um, we don't even understand. We acknowledge that there are over a hundred, maybe even hundreds of cannabinoids that we don't understand. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, in even around terpenes, you know, there's a certain amount of hocus pocus you know i mean you know there's it, it's in the same way that it is with well maybe not in the same way but at the same level that it is with um wine you know um so how are you going to make consistent i don't know i yeah. don't you know um so we'll see <laughs> Yeah. The terpene, that was a, that was a controversial topic you just stumbled upon that we will discuss on the, uh, I actually have a researcher okay. who, uh, basically said what you just said. He, uh, he said it a little bit more, um, controversially. He said, uh, terpenes are like astrology for, uh, stoners. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think there is some truth to that. I, I mean, I don't know enough about it, but it, it does seem, it does seem really hard to nail down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and my biggest thing is that they don't seem to be, they're always small percentages. When you look at a readout, like 2%, 3%, 5%, 10%. 
like is that but anyways i don't know enough about it like you say to to make any uh judgments so that's why we bring on experts so look forward to that on the chillinois podcast um you can support the chillinois podcast at chillinois.net slash support it costs a lot to afford hosting fees and licensing fees to distribute our content let alone equipment that's required to capture our content so if you're able go to chillinois.net slash support and make your contribution today Thanks for listening. Hey, uh, so that was a good discussion to start things off. Um, I wanted to just peel back the page for folks that are maybe just tuning in for the first time or frankly, are just normal people. I, I, you know, I try to keep up with this stuff. I'm a big fan of grown in. I'm reading the newsletter every week, reading the articles as they come out, trying to digest everything. And it can even be hard for me, somebody who really finds this stuff interesting to keep track of it all. And so can you uh, do your best to give us a highlight reel of how we got to where we are today? And I think it's important to start with the fact that Illinois is a little unique in the way that we legalize cannabis. Am I correct in thinking that we did it by the state legislature? Uh, I know other state and maybe another state or so has done it that way, um, but mostly it's by voter initiative. Um, and so I guess maybe we start there. Uh, the state legislature has, you know, <laughs> approved, voted and approved the CRTA. J.B. Pritzker signs it into law. Um, what does it mean and where did we, what did that mean and what happened? Where did we, how did we get here? What next? Um, well, yeah, I think there, what we're seeing now that there are other states that have legalized it through the legislature, Virginia, uh, for one, um, I'm trying to think New York, uh, New Jersey. So, you know, those were not such an outlier anymore. Um, what is significant though, is then exactly how it is that they legalize it and what powers and authorities reside in different places. So a big difference between New York and Illinois is that New York, what they did is they, when they legalized it, they created a, a set group of licenses, but then they didn't say how many licenses should go out, when they should go out, and under what criteria. Um, they just said, well, there needs to be social equity. But beyond that, they didn't really say anything. And they also created a thing called the Cannabis Control Board. And New, New Jersey has a similar kind of process. And they basically said, okay, we're going to appoint this cannabis control board. And then the cannabis control board gets to decide everything after that, which is remarkable because now you have this body of people who have all of the deciding power. They create the regulations, they create the rules, they create the process and they meet every month. And all they do is think about cannabis rules. So that means that you actually have a, a relatively flexible system that can adjust and make changes as you go along. Uh, you look at Illinois and Illinois, what they did is that they created everything by statute. There's a lot of details that are in the law. And that means that the regulators, the people in the administration, they can't make changes for most things they have to get it approved by the legislature first. And 
there's two problems with that. Number one, the legislature really only meets for about four or five months out of the year. And then the other problem is, is that the legislature has a lot of other things it needs to do. And cannabis is really complicated and they haven't figured out who it is that is in the legislature that's the expert on cannabis. So, you know, usually on a topic, there's like a, a state rep or a state senator that everyone's like, oh, you know, Pam, she knows everything. Or Tommy, he knows everything. You know, what does Tommy want to do in this industry? And then lots of legislators tend to go around whether Pam or Tommy, Pam or Tommy, I'm just, I've got Pamela Anderson in, <laughs> on my mind. And so uh, they they tell everybody what to do and then that's the direction that they go in. And so that's not the case in Illinois. Things have been very slow. It's been very difficult to make changes. And um, we've ended up really not making a lot of uh, responsive decisions in the state. And that's been a real problem. Now it's not as bad as say Missouri, which uh, when they created their law, it was passed through a referendum and was passed through a referendum and put into the state constitution, which is even worse because it means that if you're going to make any changes to the law, you have to have 75% of the legislature in both houses agree to it. And that's next to impossible. And they're having a struggle right now. They're getting ready to approve a uh, or they're getting ready to go to ballot to approve adult use. And they would put that into the constitution as well. And uh, that is people in Missouri legislature are finally saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. We should do something else. So, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it worse in Illinois, um, but Illinois has figured out a lot of ways to, to do it slowly and badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and I think the the biggest controversy controversy, if you will, is um, the holdups regarding uh, dispensary licensing. I mean, you've ta- discussed on this show in the past that um, forty craft licenses have been issued. Um, you talked about in the past that there were complications, especially at the time we were going into winter at the time, um, with trying to build a facility and and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us, let's start with, I guess, the, the dispensaries. What's, what's the latest status on um, those 185? I think last I heard there was like going to be this super case or something like that. Um, yeah. So there was, there are a number of different cases that are moving. Um, and there was a case about the constitutionality of the licensing process. And the judge in that case uh, made a motion. The, the judge put a stay on all of the licenses so that you could see who won a license, but the actual license wasn't transferred to the winners. So nobody can do anything. And that's held up 185 dispensary licenses. There were then a whole bunch of uh, applicants who had problems with the process who sued the state. And all of those applicants have been consolidated into a single case by order of the state Supreme Court. Now it was possible that that stay could have been moved into that super case, but we learned just last week that the judge overseeing the super case has decided not 
to take responsibility for that stay and to leave that into this other case that's about constitutionality. So that's the first time we've heard that in public. So that case continues to move forward, the case about constitutionality, while the super case is really about 30 or so license applicants who are trying to get a license. Maybe they'll be successful or they won't. The super case no longer now we know doesn't have bearing on the 185 cases. And it took months for us to learn that because the judges had to make their decisions about things. But now this other case about constitutionality, which is which has been moving since September of 2020, continues to chug along. Um, it looks like there's going to be some sort of argument about that in April, but that's not going to be the final boss battle. Um, there's still going to be, you know, potentially more things after that. So, you know, I would anticipate that the dispensary licenses are going to be held up for many more months to come. And would I be correct to like come to the conclusion that the reason that this can even happen is because it was a competitive lottery, like a com- competitive, am I saying that correctly? Like um, versus- Because it was a competitive process and there was a lottery. I mean, I, I, I don't know that the lottery is the problem. I think it was the scoring system that was the, the problem. Scoring. So the, the state came up with this idea that they were going to have a competitive scoring process. And the regulators, when they wrote the law, came up with this finely balanced scoring system. And according to reporting from uh, a guy uh, who runs a a thing called Capital Facts, which is sort of the insider publication in Springfield, the last minute, a very pro-veteran state senator slipped in something and said, I want to get this thing in in order to make sure that veterans get a chance that they need. Well, nobody at the time thought, oh, no, this is going to unbalance our whole scoring process. Nobody really thought about it until you started going through the scoring process. And it turns out that unless scoring was so balanced in such a way that by adding this veterans thing, now the only way that you could get a license is if your team was led by a veteran. And so the only ones who who won licenses are teams that have a veteran as part of their leadership which is not at all the intention of the whole plan. And uh, the argument in the constitutionality case is that that creates what's called a special class, which is not allowed under the Equal Protection Clause in in, uh, Amendment 14 of the US Constitution. It's also not allowed in the Illinois Constitution because you create a certain group of people who have more privileges than others in order to run licenses. And in this case, it would be veterans. Uh, and so they argue, well, that's a special class. And as a result, the whole scoring process is broken. It needs to be redone. And that's, you know, the, the sword of Democles that's hanging over our heads. You know, we're waiting for that moment when the judge finally comes to the conclusion that, yes, you know, this is a problem and we need to redo all the scoring. And I, I think that's very possible that could happen for the 185 licenses that are stuck in court. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. sounds like it's going to take some time though. Thanks for, for clearing that up. Cause it's like, 
people just people get upset, you know, not only people that are trying to get those licenses, uh, but, but consumers, that's the, that's the thing about this whole, um, holdup that, that really hurts. It really hurts the consumer in a lot of different ways, because frankly, there's not a lot of selection in Illinois and the prices are really high. And, um, you know, we've <laughs> too many people now are, uh, going to Michigan, which is a real legal risk, by the way, for folks mm-hmm. that are listening, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a legal risk, you know, um, mm-hmm. do what you have to, but, um, so next, um, craft, craft grow, like we said, 40 have been issued. Um, I think I recently saw something about like 60 now can possibly be issued and, and mm-hmm. maybe more in the future or something mm-hmm. to that effect. What, what's going on with that? So there were another 60 licenses that were also caught up 60 craft grow licenses that were caught up in their own craft grow super case. <clears throat> that case got resolved uh, and a couple weeks ago and the judge directed the state to be able to issue the licenses state now needs to issue licenses. We're not quite sure what they're waiting for. Could happen any day. Um, they're not giving any indication as to when it's going to happen. Um, but looking forward to it. Um, the problem with craft grow licenses, though, that people have been arguing is that, well, the canopy that's allowed for craft grow is only 5,000 square feet which if you visit a dispensary is really small, it's not very big. And the concern that these places have is, is that you know, they're not gonna be profitable and they can't get investor money in order to build this out. Building out a dispensary, you, know, you can do it for half a million dollars, maybe a million, but building out a, uh, a, a craft grow facility you're going to spend six to eight million dollars in order to build it, and then it's going to take you another eighteen months before you're going to have a real solid product that you're putting out. I mean, yeah, you know, you build it once you build it, it'll be six months before you get something. But talk to any cultivator, and they'll tell you it's going to take eighteen months before you're going to have a regular product that you're putting out that's consistent. So that's a long time. You know, you figure. You have nine months for a build and then another 18 months before you have a regular product that's over two years before you're going to have something regular that you can bet on. So that's a lot of money that you're going to have to be spending without any income. So uh, the argument that these craft grow operators have is, is that we need a bigger canopy. And the state says that the canopy could go up to 14,000, but somebody has to tell us that they can. And right, the discussion. Illinois Department of Ag, right? This is the thing, Illinois right? Department of Agriculture oversees cultivation. There's some argument that it could be done by the Department of Agriculture, uh, it, you know, just by right, but Department of Agriculture is not talking about it and they haven't done anything. And then there's some argument that the legislature just needs to do it. But again, back to the problem with the Illinois legislature, which is its ability to be able to get things done because it has so many other things to do. And also session ends uh, April 30th. So, um, you know, pretty much need to get it done by April 30th. I I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, we're down to a month. Yeah. 
So see, I, I don't know if you're, if you've got like any feel for, for what is going on at Springfield, but from what I'm aware, aware of, I, and I'm not sure if it's, if it got out of committee or, or whatever it takes, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I even know what that means, um, whatever it takes so that they can actually vote on it. Um, I saw that there was some language proposed for like one central agency in Illinois. I asked Tom Shuba and Stephanie Zimmerman about it, like what they thought about it. They said as reporters make their jobs a lot easier. Um, do you have any feel for if that has any chance of coming about this legislative session at all? Um, don't, have you heard anything? I don't. Um, you know, I think uh, it's not clear how much support this idea of consolidating all the agencies. So there, there's a bill that would consolidate all the agencies together. Um, and it's not clear if that is something that has a lot of support among the legislators. It's not clear that the entire administration, that this is supported by the governor. Uh, so who knows? Um, it would be great if it did, uh, all the states that seem to have, uh, good functioning administrative, you know, regulation of the stuff. So Michigan, uh, Massachusetts, you know, they in California did it. They all have consolidated regulation. Um, Ohio is their legislature is actually debating that consolidation it's likely that it will pass in Ohio. So um, I don't know. Uh, you know. Again, it all goes down to in the state legislature. I don't think that there's any specific leadership on this issue. There's nobody who's running around and everyone's like, that's the person who knows about cannabis. We should do what that person wants to do. And um, it has gone so badly that in Illinois, that I think most legislators, they don't want to take any leadership on it because they're afraid that they're just going to end up getting tarred and feathered um, and go badly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that I feel like I've seen that time and time again. I don't mean to throw any political figures under the bus, but it seemed like Kelly Cassidy was a face for a while. I don't ever hear from her with regard to cannabis or I don't see her make any statements with regard to cannabis much anymore. Uh, Bob Morgan used to be a real, you know, uh, he would post on different medical cannabis communities and, you know, seemed like he was pushing for a lot of different things, cannabis related. It doesn't seem like the focus is there anymore for a while. It seemed like LaShawn Ford was that guy. Um, but just haven't really seen any results with regard to that. Um, you know, and also representative Ford is talking about running for mayor of Chicago. And so I think that distracts a lot. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, all those things are true. Um, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, but it sounds like my follow-up question was going to be, it sounds like as a reporter, you would appreciate one single entity that you could go to for all of your questions. Probably make your yeah, job a little easier. I could easier. care less, honestly. I mean, you know, <laughs> The state of Illinois doesn't answer a lot of questions. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to let my Illinois flag go a little bit here. I'm from this state. I care a lot about it. Uh, it's important to me. Um, but the regulators in Illinois have pretty much made it clear that they're not interested in talking to me as a reporter. I get a lot more feedback and assistance 
in other states, as my reporters do in other states, there are, there are times that I've had where I've caught regulators, uh, you know, they screw something up in another state and I say, hey, I need to get a FOIA on something. And they're like, yeah, you got me. Here's the information. Okay, I'm gonna take my lumps. And, you know, fine. But in Illinois, it, there's this really aggressive process and it's not just Democrats, it's Republicans. It's just the whole system of resisting, resisting, resisting anything that somebody in the news business is trying to ask about what government is doing. It's really, it's a, it's a sickness. It, it, it really is bad. It's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, something that you tweeted in the past that, um, uh, that's a scary, that's a scary thing. Whenever somebody brings that up, they're like, Oh, something you tweeted in the past, my heart drops. I'm like, Oh shoot. What did I write? Um, you noted that, uh, one of the demand, uh, the cannabis demand study, which was mandated by uh, law is it was over like a year, a year overdue. Um, am I correct when what I heard in the webinar that you hosted the other day, um, that Danielle Perry maybe expects, I mean, that's what she said. I'm not holding you to it, but did it, was I correct in hearing that she expects to have this demand study out maybe in the summer? Sounded like it. I mean, it, it, it sounds different what she's talking about than what was initially required. And maybe okay. what she's planning on is something that's bigger. I mean, what was originally required was a study of, it was a disparity study, I think. Um, is that? Yeah. Disparity and availability studies yeah. that evaluates whether discrimination exists. If so, the impact of such right. discrimination. Um, right. There's also something about, um, demand though there's you know whether or not um there should be more licenses issued sorry go ahead right yeah that's correct um i think they were going to figure out if there needed to be more licenses issued but the thing is we've had no licenses issued since the original 110 so obviously there is more demand yeah here's Um, the bit i was talking about right here um the the results there you go yep 180 days from the issuance of the first license, you know, well, it's been more than that, no later than 12 months after the commission, you know, so it, it, we're definitely past the deadline. Um, maybe Daniel Perry has decided to broaden the scope. Um, I don't know. We'll see. You know, I, I had a, I had a boss who would say all the time, it's better to have, a high quality thing that you turn out late than they have a poor quality thing that you get on time. So maybe they think they're going to have a really amazing study that we're all going to see that's going to blow our minds and just really just rip the lid off the whole thing. I I don't know, you know, maybe it'd be great. Um, I'm not putting a lot of uh, faith into it. I mean, basically what we're learning from a lot of other states is, is that, Anytime you try and make large leaps, you have problems. Really, what you want to be able to do is lots of small, consistent, persistent changes. And Illinois has had a really, really, really hard time with that. Yeah. Well, I will say that I, it's a small thing. 
uh, Mike, but I got a notification the other day that a, an account followed me. And first of all, before I show you this account, um, Danielle Perry made, uh, she put some emphasis when she spoke with you about thanking you for giving you a platform, uh, to, to say what she said, mm -hmm. um, which is that, you know, certain percentages of license licenses have gone to social equity candidates and, you know, licenses have been issued, which is a common thing that some people are like, no licenses have been issued. No licenses have been issued. There are just, you know, things that are getting in the way you talked about, uh, complications for craft growers and such. Um, but specifically it seems like people in the public keyed in on her phrase about thanking you for a platform. And they're like, well, you're the CROO. And this is like, this is pretty new. Like people in the media would love to talk to you about it. Like you have plenty of platforms. And what I noticed the other day is that this account followed me oh, and um, they're following five people, uh, Chicago, normal Canna equity, Illinois equity and power and the Chillinois podcast. They've That's got great. one, <laughs> they've got one follower, the Chillinois podcast. <laughs> great. But Hey, maybe, you know, uh, you're talking about, I don't mean to like get people excited or anything, but if, if they've publicly made a statement that they might be releasing something, and maybe they're preparing different platforms uh, to engage with the public. I have no idea. I'm cautiously um, optimistic. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it won't be through social media that we're notified. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. hopeful there will be a standard press release and that we'll have an availability and be able to talk to the leaders. I don't know. Yeah. I but as you, know. as you said, up until now, it just seems like it's been this shadow play. Like, who do I talk to? Who's behind, who's the person behind the magic curtain. Right. And it's like for a while it was Toy Hutchinson, but then there was the whole thing there. And then it's Danielle Perry, but how do you, who, who's Danielle Perry and how do you get a hold of her? You know, um, I, I don't was, know. Um, yeah. you know, all I can say is that when we've asked for, interviews and meetings with leaders of other states they've always said yes yeah and, and you know it's we get together a meeting within a couple of weeks i haven't had that in illinois and i don't know why illinois has made the decision to not be available to the public i mean yeah. that being said if you talk to operators of cannabis businesses they'll say oh yeah i talk to so and so all the time Great. Awesome. What about the rest of us? I mean, there, there's no visibility for that. And, and I, I think that that's, you know, people say to me, well, why don't you just call so-and-so they'll take your call. And I'm like, no, they won't, you know, they're not allowed to. And I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know yeah. why. It's craziness. It's craziness. Well, I guess as we start to uh, close the show, I had, I heard you, um, say something on um a webinar a long time ago i can't even remember what the topic was and and i know it's hard probably to recapture exactly what you're saying but you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast you have a history in politics and one of the things you pointed out because there was a lot of outrage at the time about um you know the biden administration and um background checks with cannabis and in the whole there was a lot of stuff surrounding cannabis like oh you can't work 
you can't have a certain position if you use cannabis or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you were saying you made the point, um, that it wasn't necessarily at it. Like, it's not like Joe Biden was like, listen here, I don't want people smoking weed on my staff. You were saying it was more or less like the status quo. Like it didn't really matter what administration. Well, it's the law in, in the, the concern that they have in the White House is that everyone who works in the White House has to have a, a top secret clearance. And um, when I worked, I was in the Clinton administration and I worked in the U.S. Department of Energy, which you may not know is the agency that manages all the nuclear bombs. And so I had to have a top secret clearance. And uh, when you get that top secret clearance, you have to submit a piece of paper that shows every place that you've lived for the last seven years and every job you've had for the last seven years, along with a contact number of a person that you know that can verify that you were in that location. So, you know, that's a lot of stuff. And then somebody from the FBI actually pours through all those things and calls those people. Uh, I had one friend who said he got a call from an FBI agent and they asked him, do you believe that Mike Fouché is a red-blooded American? Like, I mean, these are real questions they ask. And one of the things that they want to know is, are there things that this person has done that could compromise them? So does Mike Fouché have an enormous amount of debt? So that could compromise me. Some spy could, could compromise me that way. Um, does Mike Fouché have uh, any laws that he's broken that you know, maybe he's trying to evade prosecution for? That is another thing I could be blackmailed for. So from the perspective of somebody who is trying to manage secret clearances, maybe today, uh, you know, when I gain this information, when I go work in a place, the information goes in my head and it doesn't go away. I know about nuclear bombs and I know about different things that will be with me until I die. And if I broke some laws and I was worried about going to jail, some spy could blackmail me with that, even long after Joe Biden's no longer president. So if there's a different president that were to come in after Joe Biden and say, we're gonna throw away the cold memorandum, we're gonna throw away all the different things that are keeping this cannabis industry from going, we're going to make it totally illegal and we're going to prosecute everybody. Albert Gonzalez, come on back. We're going to start prosecuting people. So that could happen. That is conceivable in the realm of things that could happen. And, and there are Republican legislators that would like to see that happen. So I think that from Joe Biden's position, if you're going to, if you're going to allow people to be in the White House staff with top secret clearances, they cannot have any potential for being blackmailed by any law that's illegal because it could change. Uh, you know, th this whole idea of a wink and a nod towards cannabis, you know, we're getting away with it. But I, I think that when you're dealing with matters of state and, you know, the military, that's a whole other thing. You can't mess around. And so I, you know, I think that it makes a lot of sense what Biden's doing there. Um, I can understand his thinking. Um, and the only way to fix it is to pass laws uh, and make cannabis legal. Absolutely. Well, uh, my last uh, question or so for you, uh, 
we're going to, you know, step out of your, uh, reporting shoes and, uh, um, we'll just, I want to just ask you like, as a, as an observer of the cannabis market and, and, um, the way that it's, that it's rolled out across the nation. I mean, this has frankly been uniformly consistent, but I'll use language out of Illinois law, um, to just kind of highlight, um, highlight something. Um, so this is the beginning of the Illinois cannabis law folks that are listening to the podcast, check out the, uh, sorry, listening to the audio, check out the video. I'm sorry. I'm not going to read all of this, but, um, this is the beginning of the Illinois law. And they say the general assembly, um, finds and declares that the use of cannabis should be legal for persons 21 years of age or older and should be taxed in a manner similar to alcohol. Also further finds and declares that cannabis should be regulated in a manner similar to alcohol. Of course, you and I know that's not true. Um, in fact, I've seen reporting in the past. I, I wish I can find it in folks. If I can, I'll put the link in the podcast description. It was somebody out of Chicago, um, not for the Tribune or Sun-Times. They reported that cannabis is actually regulated tighter than opioids in the state of Illinois. And the fact that if you ship opioids, I mean, my, for all intents and purposes, you could like to pharmacies, you could just put it in your passenger seat. But with cannabis, as you may know, um, it's got to be in a locked van and the, the van has an enclosure inside of it that has to be locked as well. You know, um, Illinois I, know law, that, I think in Illinois law, you can get away with keeping it inside of your locked glove compartment, I think is what you can do. Okay. So when you're going to put it in your locked glove compartment. Well, and I'm not talking about as a consumer, I'm talking about like, uh, from cultivator to dispensary. Oh, right. Yeah. Distributing it. Mm-hmm. A business. Yeah. 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 And like opioids, like I say, you could just throw it in your front seat if you're distributing right. it. <laughs> There's nothing really. And alcohol, uh, Tom Howard gave this example the other day. We want to talk about regulated similar to alcohol. I go to the store and I can pick it up. I can touch it. I can't open it and smell it and taste it or whatever, of course. Um, but I can go up and ring it out for myself. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really crazy when you think about um about the differences and it really shows you uh the contrast it's not at all regulated like alcohol no uh not in illinois uh you know i think in certain states oregon it's a lot closer um colorado it's a lot closer you know we're still dealing with people who think about it as a threat and um are generally not aware of what it is and you know as somebody who i I didn't use because i was trying to get a top secret clearance i didn't use marijuana in my 20s and and uh so it was not something i knew a lot about and i think that it's going to be a problem you know over time educating people and i think that's really where we're at i mean there was an enormous amount of energy spent by a lot of government agencies and other folks to make us afraid of what cannabis is and what cannabis does. And that's just going to take time, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah. I don't know how to change that faster. Well, 
Well said. Um, well, let's to wrap up, let's just highlight a few things that grown in has going on and we'll close out the show. So you've got grown in learning, um, which is, uh, for compliance training, uh, for cannabis businesses. So grown in.com slash learning for folks that are listening. Tell us a little bit about it. That's the other half of our business. And as you said, we do compliance training and education for cannabis companies. You know, so these are cannabis companies that need to be able to educate their uh, employees according to state regulation. And we do that. Uh, We have a whole bunch of courses and uh, with some really awesome experts um, that are not only part of grown in, but also we bring in from some other places. Um, And uh, the folks that are leading up our learning division are uh, people who have uh, decades of experience in education and learning. I'm really excited uh, about what we're able to offer. And we've trained uh, close to 3,000 bud tenders now, I think. Um, so, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of really great stuff. We do training in Illinois and Michigan and Massachusetts. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. And of course, uh, as we said at the top of the show, the new subscription model is uh, dropping. When does that uh, start again? April 11th? April 11th is when you got to have your subscription if you want to be able to read everything every day. Um, you'll still get our emails, so you'll be able to see what the reports are, but you can't read the reports. Um, and so we're going to continue doing that uh, for the future. $14.99 a month uh, if you want to do it monthly, $150 a year, $149.99, excuse me save 17% if you do an annual subscription. Uh, If you're working in the business of cannabis, uh, honestly, I don't think you can find a better source of information. Absolutely, absolutely. And last but not least, do you have any upcoming events that you want to promote? Yeah, so um, we just had a great webinar uh, last Thursday, and then we're gonna have another one on the business of micro and small grow operations um, in uh, uh, next month. And then uh, we're going to have another one. Oh, you can't sign up for it yet. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're going to have another one on uh, you know, what exactly is the size of the underground market? What's that all about? We're going to do that in May. Pretty excited about what we've got going on. Awesome. Very exciting. Very exciting. And folks, if you missed the um, state regulators discussing the status of social equity and cannabis, which included uh, regulators from Connecticut, Illinois, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Um, I think folks that listen to this podcast would particularly find the uh, the cameo, if you will, or the um, the fact that Dan- Daniel Perry uh, joined you. Um, so, folks, if you want to check that out, grownin.com/events. You can see the past events, and you can see any upcoming events. Um, make sure to sign up. There's always a lot of knowledge and oftentimes there's chances to ask questions of the folks that are actually attending. Um, you know, it's a amazing resource and it's one of the many reasons that I am one of grown ins biggest fans. (laughs) Thank you. That's really great. I love that you're wearing a t-shirt. That's awesome. Oh yeah. I had to, I had to. Um, so Mike, I really want to thank you again for always coming on the podcast and setting uh, aside time to speak with me and, uh, my audience. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Love Chillinoy. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Chillinoy. I hope you found this episode educational and informative. We'll see you next time. 